Do it again. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world. You're listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. The martini, shaken, not stirred. Don't try and church it up, son. You can't handle the truth. I am the picture that got small. Your first one's on us. Yay! Welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. <laughs> I'm your host, Mark Riccadonna, and with me as always... Richie Byrne! Oh, man, it is good to see you, brother. How are you? You always look surprised when we come in. You're, hey! <laughs> I try to do something really filthy right before we get on air. Um, no, oh, really? <laughs> no, yeah. I, like I just... I try to have a lot of energy. I get so excited that when we start, and... Um, well, Today's a great day. Yeah, dude. If you don't have energy tonight, you're dead. <laughs> I mean, we have this we a, have a hell of a show. Yeah. Um, got one before of the- be, before we even get to our guests, though, um, I got an email. Mm-hmm. Um, I got an email that a, a good friend of mine that I went to acting school with was doing a show, and uh, I mean, I guess I can give it away, but he was doing King Lear. Um, and it's going to be a Zoom show. Right. So they're going to be on Zoom doing live theater, which uh, I think is awesome. That Very cool. Look, we're quarantined, but we're still going to do theater. And it's for a good cause. And um, this afternoon, uh, Richie and I hopped on hopped on with him so we could get a quick interview in um, to try to help plug his show, which is tomorrow at 730 no, so, no. Oh, Thursday. It's Thursday at seven thirty. Right. So um, it it will be played. You can still go to the link, but of course, watch drinks, jokes, and storytelling. Then immediately after, go to the mm-hmm. link to watch Stacy Keach yeah, watch do King first. Lear. Yeah, watch us first. Yeah. We're more important. Um, we have the tape. We have. We have uh, yeah, we'll roll this with uh, our good friend Peyton Fallis. So, Richie, uh, a friend of mine just sent me an email, and I wanted to bring him on the show. He's doing live theater via Zoom. Wow. That's, uh, there you go. Everybody's <laughs> the, trying something. I'm telling you right now, it's the weirdest thing, the world we're living in right now, that live theater is going to be on your computer, <laughs> and that's how they're going to do it. So I wanted to bring him on. He's a friend of mine. I went to school with him. He actually did a reading we did a play reading um, a couple weeks ago that we can uh, we'll drop that in maybe a little later. But he's doing a reading with the great Stacy Keach. They're doing wow. a reading of King Lear. So I'm going to bring him out. This is my good friend Peyton Fallis, everybody. Yeah, uh, hello, bringing Peyton. him out. How hey, are you, Peyton? Thank you for joining us. Not a problem. Happy to be here. King it's, Lear. Uh, you guys figured let's not get too serious on the first one. The- yeah, that's right. And you know, the problem, Mark, with saying Stacy's name is then everybody's gonna expect you to be interviewing Stacy and then they get <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so you're doing me no favors, you're doing him no favors, none of this any favors. You're doing right me on. a favor. I get to sound cool and say a celebrity's name. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, my name does carry some weight, so I take your point. Um yeah, this is really cool. I'm just gonna try to give it to you in a nutshell, real quick. So uh, a good, good, good buddy of mine who also happens to be one of our top American Shakespearean actors over the past 30 years, Gary Sloan, who lives in Yardley, Pennsylvania. It's right there on the Delaware, just right over the border from uh, New Jersey. 
It's um, about 20 minutes from Joel's club for the people listening. Uh, it's about 20 minutes from Joel's club. We all know that club. And, um, uh, but anyway, he attends, um, the St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Yardley. And what they decided to do was put together a benefit reading performance kind of thing. It's a reading, but it's it's a reading with a lot of muscle behind it of King Lear. And Gary knows Stacy Keach from way back in theater. Stacy played Lear at the Goodman Theater in Chicago and then at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington, D.C. And he's... <laughs> he's I mean, look, look, the one thing that I'm getting sick and tired of a little bit is people feeling like we can replace the life we had with this sort of more virtual life. We can't. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Theater is meant you're meant to be in the room. You're meant to be seeing the sweat. You're meant to be feeling the breath. You're meant to be congregating. But short of that, because we know we can't uh, really watching Stacy and the whole the whole team is just it's really fun. I was only bought, brought into the project recently to sort of just MC it. But a lot translates uh, in this Zoom performance, and you're seeing a man who's, who is, uh, and, a, and a whole cast who's giving you a really impressive uh, read, and just letting Shakespeare tell the story. You know, I have uh, a couple questions about this. Sure, yeah, go for it. One, are, are you guys are you guys going to somewhat be in costume, or is this going to be like a, an actual reading where you're just black? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we you know we're not going there, going there, but yeah, yeah, to a degree. Mm -hmm. The production, the if the production value of the show is, can you wear something or be in a room that looks like something? Sure, or or wear a scarf in the right way, or or a hat or something. That's um, very cool. Yeah, so there there's absolutely a touch of that. Um, but so the reading, if you go to, and I this will be put up, I think, on your screen later. But if you go to St. Andrews Yardley. Uh, St. Andrew's Episcopal in Yardley, Pennsylvania. If you go to their website, on the uh, uh, scroll at the top, the bar at the top, you will see a, a tab for King Lear. Tap it, and then you'll see sort of the, the landing page for that, and you'll see the YouTube channel where we're going to be uh, playing this, reading this live, 7.30, uh, this Thursday, the 23rd. So make sure you guys tune into that. And then, Peyton, we want to have you back on to talk about the experience yeah, of absolutely. doing theater via. Let me add two more things to this. Absolutely. First of all, this is we're doing this as a um, benefit for the uh, Pendel. Is it Pendel? Do you know the yep. pronunciation? Yeah. Pendel Food Pantry in Pennsylvania. So um, this is a benefit, and we're hoping people donate to that local food pantry. Also though, if you want to donate to a food pantry near you, there's there will be a tab that you can click on and find a, a local food pantry. Oh, that's great. That's, that's really awesome. Cool. Wow. Yeah. If you don't care about the people in Pendel, you don't have to. No, <laughs> you should care about somebody. Um, but, um, and secondly, here's one thing that I think is super cool about this. This is not just a lineup of professional actors. Even though we have Stacy headlining it, we have Gary, uh, the actor, uh, shoot, there's a couple of the names I'm blanking on, but you're going to see, honest to God, professional actors that have been doing Shakespeare Shakespeare for all their adult life. And then you're going to see in other roles, parishioners uh, from the church. So it's this oh, wow. interesting mix of professional oh, cool. novice, and it works. And to me, it works because Shakespeare transcends all, right? The language, the vividness, the poetry, um, it really wins the day. And so, yeah, there's some people that are green and there's people that experience, but I just think the whole mix 
is really a, a lot of fun. This is the Orson Welles version of it. Um, so it's a 90 minute version. It's not going to be a three. Three <laughs> hour. Thought, you said Orson Welles, I thought five hours. <laughs> no, no, this is this was this was uh, I think in his early years before he was doing champagne commercials and uh, <laughs> showing up drunk. On we have to show that clip. <laughs> yeah, because I mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but so this is a ninety-minute version. Um, so you know, we're you'll get Lear, but you're going to get it a little truncated. How many is in the cast? Fifteen. Is it really hard to uh, to have the Zoom set up? Was that does that take a lot of work to? Well, I mean, it's yeah, you know, it's it's. Um, I don't know that it's hard, but it takes a little adjusting. It's a, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, a definitely different world than being live on stage. And it's, it's funny because Mark and I have nothing to do except this show. We have an hour a day where we're busy, and that's the time that you're actually performing, Lear. You okay, of course, but he of course. Has 23 but hours. 23 hours to kill, and you pick this time. But I'm sure we can watch it later. It, it, you can just go to the link, right? And uh, I believe it's going to be running for like three days after. Okay. I'm not, but oh, I cool. think there's like a, a period, yeah, like three or four well, days if you after. Can't you can't watch it live. Go watch it later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the two things I'll say is first of all, you know, as Mark knows, coming up hustling downtown independent theater in New York, if you were trying to get an audience, forget other actors because they're yeah. hustling their own thing. I mean, you know, you'll be you'll, you'll be hard pressed to get other actors to your show. Um, but also, yeah, always get as many people there for the opening. I, I Mark, I don't know if I, I remember when we would be doing shows that have like a three weekend run. And, you know, if it started March 1st, uh, somebody would say, "Ooh, when does it close? And I was like, I don't want you to know when it closes. I don't need 8000 people at closing night and six people at every <laughs> prior performance i need people all so anyhow but yes there is a there will be a time where it's up on that page i believe like i said three to four days after awesome okay well we really want to have you back to talk about it we want to talk about that we also would like to plug your your movie uh payton's not only a great actor he's also a great writer a great director and a producer the man wears every hat you can find um that's true. I wear a few. I wear a few. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to come back. But I just, yeah, one last time. I just uh, 7:30. Go to the uh, St. Andrew's Episcopal website. You'll see the tab for King Lear. Click on it. It'll show you their YouTube page. Um, and yeah, this is Stacy Keach, who I'm gonna just come out and say is doing the best Lear there is on the planet right now. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Peyton. Thank you so much. Later, guys. Yeah, All right. That was that great was having Payton on. It was a lot of fun. He has a great podcast. If you're uh, if you're in the market of looking up uh, podcasts, it's called In the Arena. He interviews amazing working class actors. The guys, they're not the famous ones. They're the working class guys who are making livings out there doing their art. So check that out as well. Cool. All right. I can't hold back any longer. No. It's, we gotta, to, it's we go time. Our, our big guest out here. It's time. This is the man. You got to introduce the man. I, You're so, so excited. excited. I love this man. You know I do. You I acted like a little time. kid. I love it. He, I, I do feel like a little kid. I, we, I'm so happy to have this guy on. He's just a consummate professional. He's pretty much had the career we both want to have. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, Broadway, television, stand up, radio. He's done it all. He's written it all. He's just such a tremendous performer and such a great guy. And I love him. I'm so happy. Give it up for Rob Bartlett right here. Come on. How about it? Rob's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> King Lear, right? So I, yeah. King Lear. Yeah. I, was, I was in King Lear. Yeah? Yeah, I played Dave. <laughs> he was a friend of the Earl of Gloucester. All right. Here's the problem. I was so excited to bring you out uh -huh. that I forgot we were going to show a clip of your stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> I show it. You can show whatever. I mean, well, you, let's watch it now. Let's you're hosting it. the show for Christ's sake. <laughs> I like to uh, to try to have as normal a day before a big show. You know, so I went shopping today. I went to buy a, a Taylor Swift CD. Not for me. We have a 14-year-old who just discovered masturbation. Um, at least it's, that's what I'm assuming because we don't actually have a CD player in the bathroom. And are you ever going to get out of there? And the woman behind the counter, woman, young lady, um, she had, and I don't want to appear to be not hip, she had like, you know, one of those, you know, ring, you know, like a whole NASCAR pileup of studs coming down this year and she had like an eyebrow ring, and then she had like a whole shower curtain where the ring's going down this ear. She had like a little diamond here in the nostril, and a little ring in the top lip here, and a little thumbtack on her chin there. And, and I stared, and I realized that it was rude of me to stare, but it's not every day that you see a grown woman with an entire Home Depot with a hardware on her head. There you go. I love the thumbtack in the chin. Yeah, well. I love that. I noticed you gave the finger. Did of course. You got to subtly give the finger to show you can get the audience. How are you, brother? I'm good, Richie. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you holding up under this? Oh, it's great. It's the greatest thing I've ever happened in my life. Um, I'm working more now than I did before this happened. It's just yeah. I've, been, I've been teaching classes. I've been uh, doing song parodies. I mean, just whatever I can to just kill the boredom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now you live. Do you, how many sons? Do you have sons only. Yes, four how sons. Many? Two are You're married. Friends. One has a uh, one has a granddaughter uh, who'll be a year old next month. Uh, um, uh, one is uh, living with his girlfriend. They're getting married next year, and one is a rock star who just moved in with his girlfriend. But unfortunately, his uh, third national tour was called off because of the virus. So. Uh, he's in a band called Max Seal, M-A-C-S-E-A-L. And, and I got to say, I mean, I'm not usually a fan of that type of music, but they're really, really good. Is it heavy, very heavy? I'm sorry? Is it heavy metal? What kind? No, of no, it's not heavy metal at all. It's like, it's kind of alt rock. It's uh, it's cool. got some pop. It's got some uh, emo. It's 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 really it's, it's really good stuff. I mean, it's, cool, I it's, it's good. Yeah, they got quite a following. I mean, I'm really pissed off because he's doing better in the business than me. So <laughs> now I'm one of four boys, and right. my father's my my their first grandchild was a girl, uh -huh. and my father just was so in love with her. Are you the same way? Like, I, I'm done. I mean, it's just yeah. you know we Facetime with her every day, and yeah. every day it's just can this kid be smarter or cuter? It just right. doesn't, you know. <laughs> 
and all all she has to do is laugh at Papa when he makes the you know stupid noises, and uh, I'm done. It's over. Just, she could have whatever she wants. <laughs> it's yours. It's, it's it's the greatest. It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. So guys in my family, my grandmother was begging my wife when she was pregnant, please have a girl. I know. Please <laughs> have a girl. Well, this is the first girl in my family. And, and yeah. I mean, there's been, I think, two girls besides Sophie. Uh, it's been three girls in 100 years. Wow. <laughs> that's, they're tired of the farts. I they want so. a woman. <laughs> we just have very manly sperm, the part with boy. All right, let's talk about this. Okay. I want to talk about your imitations. I'm just going to rattle off a few. Dr. Phil, mm -hmm. my favorite, Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah. I love your Brian Wilson. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Brian Wilson. How you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> Give us some Dr. Phil. Don't feel bad. But I will tell you that Mike Love and the other guys in the band really love it. They were on the show uh, on Imus uh, once. And uh, Michael Love pulled me aside. He said, just so you know, we really love the Browns. <laughs> you know, not too long after that, they fired him from his own band. So, you know. Did they really? Yeah, they fired Brian Wilson How from his own band. How do you fire Brian Wilson from I the beach? Know. I know. It's, it's show business, Richie. You know better. It's like, it's like firing you from the Bartlett's. <laughs> Believe me, they almost did. <laughs> Paula Dean. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a I just did a podcast of Paula Dean. She did her COVID nineteen um, quarantine cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Busey. Oh, Gary! Gary it's, you know it's hard to make fun of Gary Busey because he's so over the top as it is. He, it really helped when I had the fake teeth. You know, as if you know, it's just um, it's a, the reason why um, there's no ozone layer is because of cow farts. Uh, it's, and then all those acronyms he's got, you know, it's, it's a fun one to do. Rush Limbaugh, Larry Flint. Larry Flint was one of my favorite characters because he was, you know, a guy in a wheelchair who was paralyzed from the waist down. He was on the show as a guest, and I realized that I could do him. You know, that's my problem. I, I do impressions of people who can absolutely not help me at all in my career. You know, I do Larry Flint. When's that ever going to kind of come up on like you know Star Search? Um, you know, there's a reason why Rich Little never did Larry Flint. Um, and then I was getting like this hit from some of the people on the show. Like Warner Wolf got so angry at me because I was making fun of a paraplegic, and I said. Warner, he's a pornographer. <laughs> he's not a veteran. He's, he sells <laughs> magazines with pictures of naked women with bats in their ass. Why are you so worried about this guy? Anyway. <laughs> and we have uh, we have a clip of you as Mick Jagger. That Joey, can we oh, see no. that? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Really? Oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. That's the one you pick? Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. Please welcome to the Amish Morning Program, uh, Mick Jagger. Hi, Mick. Hi. It lost a little something on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I bet. He's been around. 
about 15 of them a total waste. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember much of the 70s due to alcohol and cocaine. <laughs> Though he's since cleaned up his act. I don't feel well, he always complained. <laughs> we <Bob> believe you <laughs> know his evil name. <laughs> ah, we lost it. Started with the Facebook feeds. I don't know why. You know, um, and the, the best part was like towards the end of it because, you know, I'm obviously so in shape. I was so winded by the time we got to the end of that song. I'm going to hardly get the lyrics out. You know, it's, well, that's what got me about, about seeing Mick Jagger in concert was that you couldn't believe the man was like, when I saw him, he was like 70. And he was running around like a like a 14 year old. And yeah, I just couldn't, you know, you're Mick Jagger. You get your blood changed with a 20 year old every day. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know? It's a modern now, day uh, vampire situation. Do. Yeah, we we uh, start the show off and we didn't with a drink, a joke, and a story. Right. Uh, obviously, the stories we just go into. So, but did you come prepared? Do you have a drink, my friend? I uh, actually have a uh, little mezcal uh, margarita. Nice, very nice. I'm I'm just chilling with a red wine tonight. I'm trying to take it easy. You're taking okay. it easy tonight. Right. I am hitting the stateside Urban Craft vodka. Oh, very it nice. Is, uh, yeah, it's uh Federal yeah, it's really good. So they distill it seven times, which is like the big thing now is how many times you distill your vodka. But they actually have um uh they have uh the the stuff that's in Gatorade, electrolytes. They filter oh, it good. in. So, so the, it's you. It, yeah, it's healthy. I'm basically fighting a hangover while I'm getting drunk. There you it's, go. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. I worked with Mark on New Year's Eve, Rob, this year, and before we went out, we had to get Pedialyte to, because Mark insisted that we drink like we were ninety. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta rehydrate, boys. That's the key to not getting sick. That's the key to waking up in the morning with fewer than four heads. Now you were on, you were on Imus. Since 1987, is that right? 31 years all total. From uh, you went right to the end with him. Yeah, I mean, I started when he was still at NBC. Uh, the last year he's at NBC, and then how did you get it? How'd you get on? I what? What was your? I was doing a gig one night with Mark Sheff. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Who used to do? He came up with this idea of doing a live dating game thing, and and worked forever with that that thing. It had a board and a wheel, and just traveled with that. And um, he was Imus's producer at the time. And I had been going on Soupy Sales every once in a while to promote gig. I used to open for Soupy. I started working with him at the bottom line. He did a thing called, uh, did you hear the one about, which is an evening of jokes. Um, be, I was the youngest guy. It was me and like, people like Larry Storch and uh, uh, you know all these Catskill guys. And uh, they would each do bits from their acts. And then they'd have an intermission. During the intermission, they would give out these cards. And people would write down subjects with jokes. And then Soupy would stand up and say, uh, who's got a doctor joke? And everybody would tell a doctor joke. Um, so I did that for a while with him. And so I used to go on his show to promote stuff. And I was doing a benefit for, I think it was uh, Make-A-Wish or something like that and, at, uh, at Jimmy's Comedy Alley in Bayside. Ah, um, oh, Jimmy's. Everybody um, played there, I guess. Uh, I, it was my home club for many, many years. Um, yeah. Great room it was. And... Um, 
I couldn't get on Subi for whatever. I don't know if he was out or whatever. And, and Mark, we were doing some one-nighters, some ground round in Jersey. So why don't you come on Friday? You know, we do comedians on Fridays and I miss. I was like, oh, all right. And I, I'd listen to I miss when I was in high school. You know, it was on my AM clock radio. I used to wake up to it. Uh, and um, so I went on and I did my Tom Carvel bit. And uh, he <laughs> and said, you know, come, come back anytime you want. And, I just made sure that I stuck my nose in whenever I could. I just get. I was living in Bayside at the time. My wife and I had a, an apartment at Bayside, and we. I used to go in and uh, just show up, and he'd put me on, and I developed a couple of characters, and uh, I started getting paid on a perfect basis. Um, I would get a little extra when they ran it on Saturdays at the Best of Imus, and then uh, when, wow. they moved, when they moved to FAN, they offered me a contract, and I was there uh, through the whole thing, through the firing, through the rehiring, MSNBC. Um, Fox, RFD, the whole the whole thing. It was. Uh, well, did you did you think he would come back after the firing? Were you worried that that was no. it? Or did... No, I, there there was no doubt in my mind he was going to come back because he, you know, he was one of those kinds of people who just you can't keep down, you know. And he yeah. he realized what he did was wrong, and he was he you know he. he apologized and not only apologized, I mean, he went to, to Rutgers and sat down with the team and the coach and all their families and spent like five hours talking to them. And, you know, he, he, he felt great remorse. I mean, he really did feel um, remorseful about what he had said because it was stupid and it was just, you know, it was a real lesson in how it's very easy to say the quickest thing that comes to your mind. And, you know, it's always subject to interpretation and, it certainly wasn't the intention, but it wound up yeah. being, you know, what it was. And then, but I knew he was going to come back. And, uh, you know, that, that show evolved so much over the years. I mean, it started, he was playing records when I first started working. Yeah. And then he became yeah. this great interviewer. I mean, nobody was a better mm -hmm. interviewer than him. And he everybody wanted to be on with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the salad days in, in uh, at WFAN, I mean, he... He put Bill Clinton on the map. Clinton was having a real hard time, and he came on IMS and was really charming. And you know, all of a sudden, he's like his poll numbers go up. You know, it was uh, you know he was one of the hundred most influential people one year. Every book he wrote was a bestseller. I mean, he was a really he was you know a media giant, and you know he didn't give a damn about anything. You know, he didn't right. care what anybody thought about anything. And it was a very powerful position to take, you know. And he would, you know, even if he needed the money, even in the old days when he wasn't making any money, he would not do anything he didn't want to do. And it was a thing that ultimately was his greatest success, you know. But, you guys recorded in uh, Astoria for a while, right? Yeah, when we were at FAN. FAN used to be right across in the basement at this uh, Kaufman Astoria Sound Studios, right across the hall from Sesame Street. Um, so, you know, I'd always bump into, like, you know, the guy who did Big Bird and <laughs> <laughs> Snuffle Up, I guess, in the, in the commissary. Um, I, I lived right across the street. My bedroom window overlooked where you guys would enter, and I used to see... You oh, get, wow. go in and the imus van was always parked right outside of my apartment oh yeah and yeah, yeah i was too poor to uh <laughs> to Did do anything are... but i really i when... thought it was really cool because uh, we would try to find out who was going to be on and try uh -huh. to see if we could see them going into the studio we had we had some great guests over the years i mean i met some great we people. have a picture joey bang up the picture of 
Bill Clinton. Oh, oh yeah. This was fun. <laughs> this was fun. Look at you. And look who's in the How? background. I know. It looks like Donald's mad that you're telling the jokes to Bill. Well, yeah. he was mad because he wasn't the most important person in the room at that particular moment. This was the greatest thing because I used to do Clinton on the show. Um, you know, right. I, do, blah, blah, and I would do song parodies, whatnot, blah, blah, and I would do him. And I was, I was very, very unflattering. You know, I was just always like going after the go, baby, going after the women and all that, and all the pieces that I wrote. And um, he showed up at this, it was like a, a secret guest. Uh, at this PAL um, fundraiser that I was doing. And, you know, I, I used to uh, do their auctions for them because I, I learned how to really shame people into bidding high on stuff. <laughs> um, I once got $250,000 for a foursome with Michael Jordan. Um, this is like in the salad days of, uh, of uh, when Wall Street guys were making, you know, printing right. money. Um, right. The idea was to get the two guys would bid against each other. And I would, you know, make it an ego thing. Are you going to let him get away with that? You know, and it was like back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then I would get it to the point where they were both so frenzied. I would turn to whoever had offered the the item that they were auctioning off and say, do you think we could have two of these? And they would always say, yeah. And then you would just get both these. Get it, <laughs> double the profit. So Trump had that night um, a foursome with him at one of his golf clubs and i did the same thing i worked the two of them back and forth back and forth and i turned to him i said mr trump would it be okay if we had two of these and the look on his face was like you son of a bitch he was not happy that i had <laughs> squeezed <laughs> another force out of him and the two winners were mike pence and nancy pelosi which you know, I they actually went a plane together. It was the weirdest thing. They they auctioned off one of the other foursomes and they played together. Um, <laughs> but Clinton was he had no idea who I was, and so I introduced him. And he shows you know he addresses the crowd goes nuts. Of course, um, this is the most charming guy on the planet. By the way, this guy is just I don't care who you are. Within two seconds, you are willing to you know, run through a brick wall for this guy. Right. It's, it's the most uncanny thing ever. And he, he puts his arm around me. He says, you know, I want to thank you for all you do. You guys, the PAL, you give people a place to, you know, these young kids to show. He had no idea that I had nothing to do with the PAL. It was just this, you know, this stupid comedian. Just take the compliment. You know, I was <laughs> nodding, you know, he says, it's really great what you do. And, and Trump was behind. He saw that they were taking pictures. And Trump came up behind trying to get his face in the picture. But it's my favorite <laughs> thing is it's like, What's wrong? One of these things is not like the other. It's me and two presidents. You know? <laughs> um, uh, and they're both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just, I learned a lot about ties. That well, back, back in 98, I did a benefit uh, for the Valerie Fund. And uh -huh. I, they honored Jim Fossil, who was the head coach of the New York Giants at the time. And they were right. it was a roast. And okay. they had all these famous coaches and managers and, foot and players on the roast on the dais and they hired a comic and I was the comic. Great. And um, Trump was in the audience. Trump came to show support and uh, he was with Melania who uh, we had just started uh, dating. No one, And she was just about as gorgeous as gorgeous could be. I mean, she was just, and every coach and every player that got up had to make a joke about, I wish I had that kind of money. 
Like yeah, they were cool. like, so mean. I'm like, wait, kill it. You know, our paths crossed a number of times. Uh, just really strange reasons. I I actually was they actually asked me to to play um, Marla Maple's birthday celebration at Catch a Rising Star one night, and he was there, and, and we met there. And then, you know, I, I meet him at this thing, and then we did a remote from Trump uh, Trump's casino in Atlantic City with Imus, and I met him there. It was just you know, our paths crossed a number of times, and right. Uh, so I'm just waiting hey, to, for our paths. On that show in. that night, Mike Breen was one of the one oh, of the uh, roasters, and he killed. Guy. Oh, and cool. I was sitting next to him, and he's such a nice guy. He and probably I said, used, he, he used to use my opening line at, at, at a roast. Which I is, said to him, do you know Rob Bartlett? He goes, he wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come to me when he had to do a roast and ask me for lines, and I gave him one of the greatest opening lines you could do at any time you're called to speak at any, anything. Anytime you have to approach a podium is you just say, you know, hi, I'm Rob. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong meeting. And right. it always just diffuses the audience, you know. It's right. like, come on, you know. Oh, it's, it's, not it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great. But uh, you loved your time at Imus. It was, it was. There were many, and I'm going to say, there's a spectrum of emotion that's attached to being with Imus. I mean, it was. I mean, everything that I've wound up achieving in my career, definitely. Uh, is connected to my my exposure and my my time of being with Imus. I mean, I would never have gotten the chance to do Broadway if it weren't for Imus. I never would have gotten the chance to do, you know, episodic television if it weren't for Imus. I wouldn't have gotten a film if it wasn't for Imus. I mean, it's just, you know, you, know, you do stand up in theaters. You you don't do that unless you you people know who you are. And it was it was through Imus and, you know, the promotion and the association with the brand was, you know, I also learned a lot. You know, I mean. Here's a guy who was a media monster for 50 years, and you don't work with somebody like that and not get stuff by osmosis. You know, you learn by watching. And a lot of what I know about the business, a lot of it came from watching him. You know, and you know we had a, we had a very um, complex relationship. It was very complicated. It was, you know, he was a father figure in many ways, and uh, there was. But he was a very, very difficult man to deal with sometimes. Um, he could be very, very fair, brutally honest. He wouldn't blow smoke up your ass. You know, he'd be kissing. He'd be, be just, you know, lauding you and, and giving you kudos and saying you were the greatest things in sliced bread. And then the very next day, he'd be on the air talking about what an enormous piece of junk you were. And, and you had no value whatsoever. And, and you you were worse than pond scum. And... And and both things were true, you know, in his eyes. So, you know, he used to say that I was the phoniest person on the planet. It doesn't make you a bad person, but you're the phoniest son of a bitch I've ever met in my life. And, but but I, you know, I, no matter what, you know, I, I I loved him. You know, I mean, he was he was a mentor. He was a friend. He was a boss. He was, you know, um, and I I, I I thought he was going to outlive us all. I I was so shocked. Uh, when I got the news that he had passed, it was, yeah. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've really like worked it out yet in my head that he's gone. You know, it's yeah. weird. There's a sense of denial almost. It's weird. Really? Interesting. You're not the funniest person ever. That's terrible. I know. Richie yeah. is I, definitely I, the I, most I, phony. No, um, 
so Rob, you started out. You, this is very interesting about you, and I really want to talk about this. Your real dream, because it was the same thing for me, and not many comics say this. I got into comedy trying to springboard into acting. Right, right. And and I heard you in an interview say the same thing, and I've yeah. never heard anybody else say that. And and it's the funniest thing because it's the stupidest thing you can do. Well. <laughs> Yes and no, because I mean, when I started, it was right around the time with Steve Martin and Robin Williams and the big comedy boom. And these were guys who were turning their stand up acts into film and TV opportunities, mm -hmm. you know. And so I thought that's that's the quickest way because, you know, I was trained as an actor. I, you know, I always did theater when I was a kid. And, you know, I was a, a theater minor only because I didn't have a major at the college I went to. And, um, you know, I'd always wanted to be an actor. And I thought, you know, this is the this is probably the quickest way of getting there. And it took me almost 20 years of doing stand-up to get to the point where I actually was a legitimate actor. But, you know, um, but I thought that that was, that was the path to take at the time. And, um, and it's weird because I, I, you, you get kind of a mixed reaction from casting people and producers. They're very hesitant sometimes to, to hire a stand-up for an acting gig because they think because what you do is so solitary that you don't know how to work with other people, whether you've, you know, whether you've had training in acting or not, you know? And so um, you have to fight against that prejudice. Meanwhile, you know, anybody who has ever segued into acting out of Saturday Night Live has been a stand-up, you know, it's not Eddie Murphy, perfect example. You know, it's, he was a stand-up and became, you know, a, star. a, a, star, a huge star. <laughs> As an actor, because right. you know, Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, think about all it's so many people at SNL that, who were stand-ups who wound right. up, you know, becoming. Now you you were in an improv group with Eddie Murphy back in the day. Yeah, yeah, we right. started together at a club on Long Island called Richard M. Dixon's White House Inn. It was run by the guy who used to. Uh, he was a, a Nixon lookalike, and he had a, quite a career in the late fifties ah. imitating Nixon. And then Watergate hit, and his career went in the toilet. Um, That's right, Richard. And so he opened he opened the showcase room, you know, in Massapequa, which was, you know, right. the town that I lived in. And so it was kind of serendipitous. And that's where I met Eddie, and uh, we became fast friends. And um, Bob Nelson was another friend, and the three of right. us decided that we liked working together. Oh, let's let's figure out a way that we can always get booked in the same shows together. And we figured out, well, you know, if we we each do a little versions of our acts, and then we can do improv and and sketches and stuff together, which was what we used to do all the time when we got together, which is do characters and and shtick and whatever. And that's how we became the identical triplets, and that's what we did for. Yeah, because back before I even did comedy, I was uh, in a play. I was in a touring in a play, and a guy in the play was in a play in Long Island at Eastside Comedy Club. Uh -huh. and, and he said to me, this, this, he said, listen, come see my play. He was doing I Love My Wife uh -huh. and at, at Eastside Comedy. And and he said, Joan St. Ange uh -huh. is the booker of the open mics. Come see the play. She's in the play. I'll introduce you to her. And then I'll get you, you can get, and the first time you ever get on, it was the first time I got on stage was the Eastside. Wow. But I went to see the play, and after the play, I'm sitting with the guy, and some improv show breaks out. And there's a guy on stage who's just amazing. And I, and I turn the actor, and I go, who's that guy? And he goes, oh, that's Rob Barkley. And it was you. 
And and he said he's he was in an improv group with Eddie Murphy and Bob Nelson. And I'm like, this guy is so goddamn funny. And I've never forgotten you. That had to be 1987, 1988. And I, always, I was like, who is this Rob Bartlett? You were just amazing in that improv group. Who is this Rob Bartlett? That's the problem. I, I keep getting that a lot. Who is this Rob Bartlett? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the history of a show business career. You know, it's like, who is Rob Bartlett? Then it's get me Rob Bartlett. Then it's get me a Rob Bartlett type. Then it's get me a young Rob Bartlett. And then it's who is Rob Bartlett? It's just <laughs> but I mean, it's, look, come on. You've done Letterman. You've done Conan. I, I you know, you, uh, I'm, that, I'm, here's I'm, one interesting. What? I'm, I lost you guys. I'm sorry. I lost the feed. <laughs> okay, we're here. All right, well, if Richie well, is out yeah, until he comes back Rich. in. Let's talk about Richie, about how untalented he is. You know, <laughs> you're really the star of this podcast, and you're just pulling him along like dead weight. And he's and my he, back's hurting from carrying the show. I it was really going to say, you're definitely carrying the show. And, uh, you know, he's nobody <laughs> who's just, you know, riding on your coattails. Um, and it's obvious that even the internet knows what a loser he is because they've just dropped him completely. <laughs> Mark Riccadonna is really the host of this drinks, jokes, and storytelling. Um, I definitely do most of the drinks. Well, was, you know, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get, Do you know the Ape Pagoda story that there was a thing in the, in there the you go. papers? I'm back. <laughs> We're talking about how great you were. We we love you, Richie. You're our favorite person. I had such and I had such a great question for you too. And it got you all. <laughs> so I'll just say it now. What do you what? I, it keeps breaking up. I'm sorry, guys. Ask the question now. You were a host on Monday Night Raw. I was wondering what, how long it was going to take before that one of with Bobby the Brain. Are you friends with his brother, who's also a comedian? I um. Dave, I was one of the first, very first hosts from the first Monday Night Raw. It was me, Vince McMahon, and Macho Man Randy Savage. Wow! And, um, that photo is from a night when when uh, Vince was getting an award uh, from some organization because of the charity work that the WWF at the time, not WWE, uh, did. And and you know, I got to say that nobody does more charity work than that organization. They're constantly sending their guys to you know children's hospitals and whatnot it really is incredible and um and that was one of the nights that we weren't at the manhattan center we were at the mid hudson civic center it was a hockey rink in poughkeepsie and uh, every like you know, one monday a month we weren't at the manhattan center we were there and it was in the middle of a snowstorm vince wasn't there randy wasn't there he couldn't get there because there was a, a snowstorm and so they got bobby and they got gorilla and um, I had the week before knew that Vince was not going to be there. So I said to the makeup lady, I said, do you think you can make me look like Vince? And she said, yeah. So I rented a tux and I had to put big shoulder pads in it because, you know, Vince was working out. <laughs> and, um, I need to start working out. <laughs> and I had, and I, she made my lips really, really big. And, and I, I did this erstwhile impression of, of Vince because it was all told like this. You never really said anything, but you don't want to say nobody ain't raw. And I did the whole show like that. And um, it was one of my favorite favorite times. It was it was a crazy time. It really was. But you know, I met some incredible people. I mean, Macho Man, Bobby. 
uh, everybody I met there were just really, really terrific, great, great people. And um, I just was wrong for the whole thing. I mean, Vince, I got to give Vince a lot of credit. I mean, he's the P.T. Barnum of our time. He uh, he thought it would be a good idea if he was going to do something live and off the cuff. And he capitalized on the whole morning radio concept. And he thought that, you know, topical stuff from a morning radio personality would be the way to go. And I had done a benefit for the Connecticut Special Olympics. And he was in the audience. Uh, it was like a dinner and something like that. And he was wearing a three-piece peach-colored velour suit. And I did Sweet Jesus. I did 40 minutes just on the suit. And <laughs> and it was one of, one of my one of the highlights of my career, I have to say, it was one of those things where it's just the, the comedy gods had delivered this to me. And I I did I did, you know, I just totally destroyed him and it went really, really well. Got a call from him the following week and said, oh, how'd you like to do a live show on Monday Night Raw? And, <laughs> so I did the first 13 weeks and it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it was, it was really difficult to kind of make fun of something that was already over the top, mm -hmm. but also really serious, you know? And, and so it was, it was a bad fit, but I mean, I give him credit for, for trying it, but. Um, did you, you ever know. meet Hulk Hogan? Oh yeah. 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 Did you ever play Hulk Hogan? I, yeah, I played Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's a Hulk Hogan. That's Guy Fieri. <laughs> Well, that was before I got the real Hulk Hogan bandana. That was one of the first Hulk Hogan's. Yeah, it did look a lot more like Guy Fieri at that point. <laughs> That's okay. going to Flavor Town. Right. <laughs> We're moving into an area now. I want to talk to you about that means a lot to me, and you've done things that just impressed the hell out of me. Your theater background. Uh -huh. I didn't realize that you won. You you won the Drama Desk Award. Yeah, um, I got a drama disc award for it. That's amazing, bro. It, it was uh, it was an off Broadway play called Tabletop, which was a really cool play. It was uh, it started off off Broadway actually first. It was uh, uh, in real time. It was ninety five minutes. It was about a commercial shoot, uh, but it was a product shot. Uh, so it wasn't the actors, you know, doing the stuff. It was it's a very specific part of commercial. Um, filming and, and directing where you know you show the pizza you show the the burger you show you know the the drink being poured and all that kind of stuff it's a very specific area and um it was trying to get this one shot it was a time limit thing it was very very cool and then the part was just one of the best parts i've ever played you're just the son of a bitch the worst human being just treated his whole staff like crap and you played richie yeah, basically, and uh, <clears throat> and it was it was it was great, you know, it was great, and um, yeah, I got a, I got a drama disc award for that, and we went and then we moved off Broadway to the uh, American Place Theater, and we were supposed to move to Broadway, but the new producer um, who was going to take us to Broadway wound up losing her entire fortune uh, in a pyramid scheme. And so we, we we wound up not going to Broadway, unfortunately. Um, but it was a great it was a great little thing, and uh, it was great for me because a year prior to that, I had done my own Broadway show, which was one of those. I was going there. Next. I was in Vegas. It was the last act uh, on the stage of the Sands Hotel before they blew it up. 
um, you know, the sands where the Rat Pack had played. Right. And um, one of the producers, one of the, a well-known producer in, in Manhattan, uh, who owned a couple of theaters, he owned the, um, the Orpheum Theater, plus a couple of other off-Broadway theaters. Uh, and he had produced the revival of Damn Yankees with Jerry Lewis. So he was right. a pretty, pretty well-known producer. He had won, I don't know, a buttload of money uh, at roulette or something at the Sands and, and was feeling, you know, very happy and uh, wandered into the show and thought, you know, well, why don't we, why don't we let's just put him in one of my theaters, let him do. And that was a time when, you know, stand-ups were starting to do theatrical things and whatnot. And so I started talking to my manager and we thought, you know, why don't, instead of just doing your stand-up act, why don't you try and write something? Cause you know, I'm a writer. Why don't you write like some connected, why don't you try to write a, a story around the little bits and pieces of your act. Cause you know, my act is basically character pieces. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this thing that was semi-autobiographical about my, my dreading my 40th birthday and my strained uh, relationship with an absent father. And, um, what year was this so it was, around? It was point. Um, it was 1998. Um, it was uh, the summer of 98 that we did it out of town uh in new in um stanford connecticut at the rich forum it was called have a nice life and then we we got an opportunity to go into the eugene o'neill theater um and unfortunately they took the opportunity and so we we opened on broadway at the eugene o'neill theater wow. in october of 1998 um dana reeve played my wife dana reeve. played yeah. my agent. christopher reeve's wife yep and uh and Joyce Van Patten played my agent, and uh, it was called. Yeah. Look, we don't fool around. We got pictures. <laughs> you, you did your research, um, <laughs> and uh, we we opened at the Eugene O'Neill Theater. We did sixteen previews, and four performances. And the pull quote from the Times was "Avert your eyes." So, it's not exactly the thing you want to hang from the marquee to try to get. People <laughs> so <clears throat> nowadays, you would use that as anti. Yeah, yeah now it'd be like. Absolutely. Put that I mean, up. You but, wrote a you wrote a play and got to star in it on Broadway. I don't give a shit what anybody. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's you got to, you know, I gotta say, I'm one of the luckiest people on the planet. I mean, I have no, um, I'm very grateful for the career that I've had. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. I mean, I have I, to tell you, I think Richie agree, would agree with me. I I would cut my left arm off to have your career. I absolutely adore. The path well, you take, I and mean, you're a true artist, man. It's yeah, you know, it's you're just a rare breed. There's not a lot of us out there that do it for the love of art. You know, it's 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 you just gotta stick with it. That's it's not giving up. Had I really given up, I really wanted to give up after Mortal Love Close because it was a real a public humiliation. I mean, just the papers were just awful. And then it continued. It just for, for and of course, Imus ran with it for months. And, uh, you know, even the last year we were on the show together, he would bring it up, you know. Um, did he put money into the show? Yes, he did. Which, you know, he would remind me of just about every week. Just about every week. Anytime I would open in another show, he'd send flowers and the card would say, where's the effing money? So, um, <laughs> well, but, you know, I, I wound up falling into this other thing where it was a, a city center encores production of uh, Golden Boy that was being directed by um, 
the guy who directed Chicago, the musical. Um, and, you know, it was the, the guy who cast More to Love suggested me, you know, to Walter Bobby and said, why don't you, why don't you look at him? And I auditioned. And I got this small part. I was the manager of the fighter, you know. And uh, What year was that? In the theater. Uh, that was... 99 i guess i i saw that it was right when i moved to new york city yeah and it was funny because you know there was a moment in the, in the show and it's it's a great thing it's it's, it's a two week process from the time you're cast to the time you do your last show it's literally <laughs> two weeks and you do i think six performances and um and it's done supposedly in concert you're supposed to you know still have your book and you don't have to learn your lines but there's choreography and there's music and and Eventually, they become almost full-on productions now, um, but they do musicals that would normally not have gotten a revival. But Chicago the Musical came out of that, and the whole idea of having the orchestra on stage, that's all a city center on-course thing. And so Walter said, uh, you know, there was a moment where they had to cover some time for a scene change, and they had these, it was Eddie Satin, the, real, the, the bad guy in, in the show. I was his apartment, and they were lowering these amazing silk curtains, you know, like 40 foot silk curtains from the rafters. And um, Walter said, Can you just ad lib something, you know, as you're coming out when you're going through the curtains to just so we have something there so it doesn't seem so awkward? I said, Yeah. Uh, of course, he says this right before the first performance. Oh, really? Wow. So I walk out and I walk through and that the curtain comes down and I take it. And I had figured in my backstory that this guy who was the fight manager had come from the garment district. And so I, I took the, the, the fabric and I went, would you look at this for Kakta Schmata? And Walter thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, fast forward like another six months, I'm having lunch with Joyce Van Patten and Walter is in the room. And so he comes over, he knew Joyce and the three of us are eating lunch and two days later i get a phone call from a manager he said um walter bobby would like you to audition for chicago i said what he said brad garrett was supposed to play amos mr cellophane but he got the jackie gleason television movie the tv movie and so uh he had a bailout two weeks before he's supposed to go on so they need somebody in a hurry and i guess i was fresh in walter's mind from the from the lunch. So he said, well, why don't you have Rob go down and, and see the matinee this Wednesday. And then when he's done, go up on stage and sing Mr. Cellophane for the musical director, Bob Billig. So I see the, the matinee. You know, my wife and I had seen Chicago and just was blown away by it. And I thought, wow, that, that Amos Hart, that Mr. Cellophane, that's a character I would, you know, give my left one to play. And yeah. so after the, matinee is over i you know bob billy comes to the apron of the stage he goes come on up and i go up on stage and i sing cellophane and uh, you know i thought well that was that was an experience i think i'll never going to forget i actually got to be in a broadway stage and sing a song and i thought yeah. that was it. and then i'm in the car driving him back to long island and my phone rings and it's my manager gary he said they're offering you the part and that was uh, that was so wow. about a year after tabletop, and it was so I was back in you know I was back in business you know, and that's oh. what I mean. It's about sticking with it and persisting because had I given up, you know, who knows what's going to happen. You have to leave yourself open to the universe, you know, leave yourself open to what's there because you know what, you hang on long enough, eventually it's going to come your way, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, open up. Amos Hart, Chicago, Mister Mushnick, Little Shop, <laughs> uh, Speed, and the Odd Couple. 
Yeah, that Nate was Lane and, and um and Broderick and and Brad Garrett. Yeah, that yeah. I was, that was kind of a weird thing that he was in that show too because it was like I gotta thank you. I said, Why? I said because you know because of you I'm actually doing this now. Here. <laughs> uh, Another one that we need to talk about: Herman and Sweet Charity uh -huh. with Christina Applegate, oh. a good friend of I remember a, that a good friend of mine who's going to be our guest on Thursday uh -huh. is Janine Lamana. Janine, my I love Janine. Uh, she's we on Thursdays we do Showbiz Thursday on the show. Oh, that's we, great. We don't want to do comics every day, so I, I Janine, she actually is probably watching right now, and she last night I was on the phone with her. And somehow I said, she goes, who's your guest tomorrow? And I go, Rob Bartlett. She goes, Rob Bartlett. Oh my. And I go, how did I not put that together? She's one of my dearest friends. She's she a sweetheart. And mega, 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 mega talented. I mean. Oh, an incredible talent. She was, and she, her dressing room was next to mine. Um, uh, at the, I, I think it was the, uh, the same theater we did How to Succeed at. It was the, uh, um, the, the guy who did the caricatures on Broadway. I can't remember anybody's name anymore. No, me neither. I've always <laughs> the Hirschfeld the Theater. And, Hirschfeld, um, Hirschfeld, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we became we became fast friends. She's just, just a dear, just a sweetie. She's she one of those people who you don't see, like, for months and months and months. Mm -hmm. And then you see her, and it's like you just saw her the night before. You know? She and I did Grease together, and she was uh, Rizzo, and I was Kaneki. Oh, how great. Yeah, how great. Back, yeah, back in, you know, like three years ago. And um, she was so, amazing in Sweet Charity. I mean, amazing. Yeah, well, she's going to be on our show on Thursday. And oh, I'll have to watch. I'll have to watch. And uh, one more we want to talk about. I saw you in this, uh, How to Succeed in Business. And we have a clip. Joey, can we see the clip? Do you have any hobbies? I have a hobby. I play gin with Mr. Brad. And do you play it nicely? Play it nicely. Still, he blitzes me in every game like that. Why? Because I play it the company way. Executive policy is by me okay. How can you get anywhere? Junior, have no fear. Whoever the company fires, I will still be here. You will still be here. Year after year after fiscal, never take a risk all year. How about that? That is awesome. That was, that was a pretty cool experience. I, I, saw you, I played Twimble Wumper in uh, in college. Isn't that a great part? I mean, it's just so it's, much fun because you you get to do two great songs and yeah. and and you're done. And you and you sleep for like an hour and a half yeah, no, between the two characters. Yeah, there's nothing you have to do once you change. You just I know. I know. Yeah, and you were you wonderful. Were As a matter of fact, I went to a matinee and I knew the stage manager, and I said, I go. Can I go see Rob? I want to go say hi to Rob. And he's like, I don't want to bother him. I'm like, oh, he wouldn't care, but he didn't want to bother. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish he let you in. It would be great to see you. Yeah. Um, and, and Daniel Radcliffe was great. And the whole cast was great. It was it was a, a great experience. I have to say, both he and Nick Jonas, who who went up taking the part after Daniel wow. left, um both of them were the consummate professionals. Dan showed up. The first day of rehearsal, completely off book, knew all his songs and all his choreography. Really? I mean, it's just, you know, 
Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Yeah. Well, Nathan Lane shut up the first uh, rehearsal of Odd Couple completely off book. Play off book. I thought you were going to say Nathan Lane shut up. Didn't even know what play it was. He just, oh, no. no, that no, that was Matthew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you work on Broadway that much, it's not even that scary. I guess you know. It was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, and that and Little Shop were great because I wasn't a replacement. I was in it from the very beginning. Right. And there's something really exciting about that. There you go. They are Little yeah, Shop. You start rehearsal. And then you have what they call the sits probe, which is the first time you actually sit and with the orchestra and you do all the numbers in, in the show in a studio with the orchestra. And it's it's just it's one of the greatest things ever. It's just and there's a great bond that you make with the people who you do these shows with, you know, and they wind up being some of my lifelong friends. I mean, Janine and I did. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's got to be at least 15 years ago we did. We did a sweet charity, and then we're yeah. still, you know we're still friends from that. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the best things about about doing theater is the the friendships. That yeah. You so much fun. <laughs> I'm gone. Oh, can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Quarantined. All right. I can hear you. Quarantired. That's what it said. <laughs> oh, I like that. And in in all during all of this, you're doing IMS. Well, <laughs> that was the crazy thing was the fact that you know when I first started, I would go in after the show was over and do just the the character bits that I had written. They were just you know recorded bits. Okay. But then when we moved over to MSNBC, he decided it would be much better instead of just playing these bits on tape while he was sitting around pretending to like it while he was listening to it, that we could do them live. And so I started going in live a couple of days a week. And at that time, MSNBC was broadcasting out of um, Secaucus, New Jersey. And so I would, wow. I, I would have to be in the makeup chair at 5 a.m. because the show started at 6. Oh. Because, you know, we did full-on makeup. We did prosthetics. You know, I when I did Dr. Phil, there was a bald cap, you know. Wow. So wow. I'd have to leave my house in Long Island, like, at 4. Oh. And then uh, I'd show up at 5. I'd get into makeup. I'd do the show. And then the show would be over at 10. And then, you know, get out of makeup and costume, whatever. And you, you kind of decompress a little bit. And then one summer, it was the summer I was rehearsing, um, odd couple. I'd have to drive back into the city to do rehearsal of the Odd Couple on on the rehearsal studio on Forty Second Street. And then Neil Simon, who was at every rehearsal for the Odd Couple, which was just one of those, wow. was just one of the greatest things ever. Like to be in the same room with this guy it was yeah. like you know the Beatles of theatrical comedy. You know, yeah. it was really it was amazing, um, and. He asked if I would mind filling in for the guy who was playing Herman in Sweet Charity because he had taken ill and they had gotten Wayne Knight, you know, um, right. from, Seinfeld. from Seinfeld, uh, was coming in, but not until September. So they needed somebody to fill in for the summer. Um, I've seen both of those versions. And so I I said, yeah, I mean, Neil Simon asks you to do something, you, you do it. And um so after I would do a rehearsal with, with Nathan and Matthew, I would go over to the Hirschfeld Theater and I would I would get ready to do Sweet Charity with Christine oh Applegate. And then 
I'd get out about midnight and then uh, drive back home and get home around 1, 1.30 and, and nap and then get back in the car at 4 and drive drive to Secaucus. If that didn't kill me, nothing will. Yeah. And I couldn't you you live the life that every single person at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts dream of. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I I do not have anything bad to say about having to do that kind of stuff because yeah. there is nothing like being on a stage with a cast of people and a and an orchestra and an audience. I mean, it's just you know, theater is. There's something about it that there's a reason why so many people dedicate their lives to it and sacrifice so much for it and put themselves through such unbelievably soul-crushing. I was just telling somebody tonight about an audition I had once. It was um, it was an equity open audition. It was before I'd even done anything. I was still doing stand-up, still working as a janitor in New York City, and uh, it was for some new play. Some guy had written this drama, and, and the scene was a father who was standing over the crib of his dead baby. And it was this monologue. And so I worked on this for weeks and I had it down to a science and I felt really confident in what I was going to do. So I show up at equity and go into the audition and, and I walk in just as lunch gets there. So everybody on the other side of the table is like going through the bag and picking out the salads and the sandwiches. And they're going, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. We're paying attention. Is that your pickle? Yeah, well, this is, <laughs> I do the scene, and I just, I had gotten myself into such an emotional state where I was trembling and sobbing, and it was, the scene was over, and I just, I had, my head was down, I hear, fabulous, and I look up, and I go, thank you, and he goes, no, 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 I, I meant a sandwich. <laughs> he could not have just let you have that. He had to be a dick. Oh, his business will just rip your soul out. But that, but you got to keep going. You know, I was telling somebody, I, I think I was telling you guys before we went on about a, I was telling you, Mark, about a, a gig I did when I was doing a one man thing at Club 1407 in, in, in Manhattan. It was a, a show where half the audience was deaf and they had a sign language interpreter. And so every time I would do, you know, a piece or a line for my act, I'd get a laugh and then there'd be this pause while the sign language interpreter would finish what I had said. And then I would get a laugh from the deaf half of the audience. And after the show was over, they were all lined up. The deaf people were all lined up to get the autograph of the interpreter because they thought he was the real act. And I would hear it from so, no, it's the it, equivalent of asking for an autograph for, to an actor because the writing was so good. Right, exactly. <laughs> In the middle of all of that, you're doing TV like crazy. Well, that that was something that came out of Tabletop initially. I mean, uh, the guy was the set designer for Tabletop. And initially, when we first did it at uh, the Dance Theater Workshop, we did it in their scene shop. So it really looked like a set of a commercial um, you know, where you would do a, a real commercial, you know, a, a product shot. And then when we moved to the American Place Theater, we went from off-off to off-Broadway, we had to recreate that on the stage. And so the set designer was the same guy who was the um, designer um, for the Law & Order franchise. Oh, wow. And so they came, they came to see the show and uh, saw me, and I wound up getting an audition out of that. And I 
I played a, a really sleazy defense attorney for five episodes, Milton Schoenfeld. I actually got to uh, represent the funds. He was uh, yeah. the best hey. client I got to represent. Henry I actually, I was going to bring him up earlier when you were talking about like doing a show and it's a disaster. Henry Winkler actually came and spoke to our school uh, when I was still in school. And uh, I did a play that he did on Broadway called 40 Seconds to Broadway. Oh, right. And I asked him about it and he goes, it's the funniest thing. It was opening night and uh, the show went on and I knew it was a disaster. But as I was putting the in my hands in the sink to take the water to my face to take the makeup off, they already removed the sink. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I got to say, he was one of the best people. You know, it's, I've noticed that the bigger they are, the, be the best Nicer. people they are. They That's the way comedy are. is, right? Look at me. I David. know, it's such a dick and not funny. <laughs> a legend. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, when I did elementary, uh, one of the episodes we did was with uh, Johnny Lee Miller directed. Mm -hmm. And so the scene we were doing was at a grave site, and it involved, it was supposed to be a dream sequence. He was having a dream. Sherlock was having a dream in his uh, deprivation tank. And... Um, it was a, supposedly the, the the death of the captain who I was replacing as the interim captain and who, who hadn't died, but this was the dream that he was having. And um, he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm just annoyed that you're here because usually it's a scary clown with an axe. And of course there's a scary clown with an axe at the end of the scene. And um, so we do the scene and, you know, it's, I've never been in a scene with somebody who's actually directing at the same time, which is a really interesting thing. And then we did two or three takes of it. And then he says to me, he says, do one for you. Do something that you want to do. Do a take that you would like to do. Wow. You know, is, is there any way you want to do it? It was like, oh, okay. And so I did one. And I, I did a little something different with the way that I reacted to him. You know, my character, Captain Dwyer, was a, you know, real by the book, bare bones guy and no tolerance or patience for anything or anybody. And I just gave him a little bit of an incredulous look like, you're nuts. And that was the take they wound up use it so wow. it just yeah. seems like that when when you're with people who are you know really really big they they're, there's they're no like, insecurity so, they allow you to create yeah, yeah. i mean they, they have the mentality if they want what they're doing to be the best that it can be and so they're open to believing that you're there for a reason and so they're going to give you the credit and the opportunity to make make it as good as you can make it you know um a lot That's of fun it. Well, yeah, I mean, elementary, Law and Order, Ugly Betty, The Good Wife. Yeah, I mean, uh, The Good Wife was great. She's amazing. She yeah. is one of the nicest people on the planet and very, very giving. You know, very, very, um, and she's, I mean, she's in everything. She was in ER. She was, she yeah. was in a movie um, with Alan Arkin. And I, I had to ask her. Alan Arkin is one of my heroes. Me, I think The In-Laws is the single funniest movie You're not right. directed by Mel Brooks <laughs> on the planet. And, right. um, and and she was talking about, you know, being, you know, on a movie set with him and just how incredible he is. And um, But Juliana was just, again, just could not be nicer, you know. Yeah. Just, it's it's It's... It's why you go into this. It's what you hope for when you go into this business. Yeah.
You know, yeah. you hope that it's going to be that good. You know. Yeah. And are you are you still doing your radio show? Uh, I'm doing a, a podcast, the Rob Barrow Radio Comedy Hour, and uh, I've been doing it intermittently. Um, we we started out where we were doing it live with the whole cast. It was supposed to be kind of like Saturday Night Live meets like the Jack Benny show where they would have people do a live show standing in front of microphones doing characters with sound effects and music and all that. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it, it wound up, you know, eventually becoming we were sitting in a radio st- studio doing it there and, uh, you know, w- with no audience. And then and now it's me in my kitchen. Um, just me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, because. I auditioned for that. We did a show together. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I completely and forgot about that. I had such a great day with you. I'll never forget. It was really a highlight of my career because you guys tracked me down. Gary came. Gary had Ooh. to find me. Yeah. And I went to Queens and we we went and we did the we did the show and I walked out of there and I thought, man, I nailed that. I nailed. You did. You did. And, and then you told happened. me no. No, but what wound up happening was that they was saw the- your rider. It was the, the, the original concept was um, early morning, late night. It was going to be a morning radio show, right? like a late night show. So it was like a combination of the two. And so it was going to be uh, three people, me, uh, an actress by the name of uh, Megan Samard, and a mm-hmm. third person, and you were the third person. And you were the one we were going to hire, but then we wound up when we pitched the idea, the, the people who were going to be hosting it weren't crazy about it they, they weren't they didn't like that idea at all they thought it was lame and it had been done before so we had to kind of like regroup and that's when we came up with the idea of doing the the live show and like like the old time radio meets oh, okay second. whatever no whatever. you were you were you were my favorite for sure no um, let me tell you back when i and you paid me the ultimate con, con, compliment i was doing the richie burns show at caroline's oh that was and so that, much fun at Gotham and the second show I did, I got you to, I always had comedy. Get, my second show had you and Jim Gaffigan were my comedy guests. Which, oh, that's right. I remember oh, that. Unbelievable. And the show was, I had a band. If you remember yeah. I had a band, we yeah. did a cast who could sing and dance and, and it was like old school. And you went up and you rocked the room. People were yelling out, Mark, people were yelling out bits to him. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and it's like I, going to see a concert. Yeah, yeah, Free bird. And um, and you were great. And we did the show. And after the show, you came up to me and you said, "And this is this is the ultimate compliment." You said, "It's a great show, man." I go, "Thanks." You go, "Really, really? I mean, what a great idea." And I go, "Thanks." And you go, "I should have thought of it first. <laughs> <laughs> I should have." And then guys. You, Years We're, later, after Hurricane Sandy, I did a benefit at Gotham. That and was a great show too. Through Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz's charity. Yeah. And we had what a show that was. Jim was on that. Yeah. Joey Cola. Yeah. R.P. Smith. Yeah. Um, I just had and Ben Vereen showed up and sang yeah. two songs. Yeah. Um, and I happened to bring my band. I wasn't gonna have a band, but I did, and thank God I did because Ben wanted to sing. And you you were doing Imus the next morning, and everybody had a reason that they couldn't stay till the end. Every mm-hmm. Cola, of course, Cola had to do like Rachel Ray three days later, so he had to get home and get the <laughs> fucking always has to go to bed. Whatever, every and I remember I knew you had to get up the next day, and I said, Rob, nobody wants to follow you, 
and you said, all right, I'll go last. And you stayed and I knew you had an early morning and you blew the room away after seven or eight or 10 comics, whatever it was. And I remember you did the Wheel of Fortune bit, which is my favorite bit of Wheel of Fortune in Iraq or Iran or whatever. The Wheel of Jordan, yeah. Wheel of Jordan. And, um, <laughs> and I remember Dr. Oz's wife, Lisa, she couldn't breathe, Mark. He's doing the bit and she is hunched over because, and she said to me, I've been living with this man, his family's from Turkey. That's every holiday I've ever been on. <laughs> That's funny. All right, guys, we're we're at an hour 15. I know. Well, so what I'd me. like to do is we obviously, Rob, we want to have you back whenever you want to come back. Any, we, oh, this is great. I love it. I mean, Rob, we usually do 45 minutes. We're a half hour over because of you. Because we well, just wanted you to keep going. Richie and I are headliners pining to be features. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> What's the what's the least we can do and still get paid? That's all exactly. we care about. Exactly. Um, but we definitely want to have you back on. Uh, oh, before, before we close out, though, uh, let's do three quick questions. Richie, think of one real quick. My first question is, you get to work with a dream director and dream co-star. Who are those two people? Oh, um, J.J. Abrams, and it's a Marvel movie. And I, I get to work with, you know, Captain America and Iron Man. And, you know, I'm, I'm a new Marvel hero, um, you know, Captain Fat Boy or something. Just something <laughs> you know, just, or, or, you know, like an action comedy, like a buddy cop comedy. And, uh, and have uh, Taika Waititi be the director. Um because I just love his stuff. I, I love Jojo Rabbit. And I love, you know, oh, so Thor Ragnarok. And so, yeah, that would be, that would be my, my choice. My question would be what, what play haven't you done that you want to do? Um, I'd like to do at some point, cause now I'm, I'm the age and the size to do um, death of a salesman. I think that'd be a fun show to do. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd like to be Tevia at some point because yeah. you know, a lot of my body of work, I'm playing a Jewish guy, yeah. uh, even though I'm a Roman Catholic, well, you know, from I, I got to tell you, with the hat and the beard, I thought you were auditioning tonight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my Irish look. This is the hat I got in Ireland. Um, hey, real fast, uh, I, I want to give a, uh, we should give a little shout out. Uh, I saw Death of a Salesman with Brian Dennehy. Oh, and, yeah. uh, Did you really? He just he passed. That was it was my first Broadway thought. show. Yeah, first Broadway show I ever went to, wow. and somebody's cell phone went off oh. as he was doing the opening walk no. into the house. Oh, and no. this is when cell phones were rare. This was ninety eight, ninety nine. He stopped everything, had them turn the lights up, and said, "Whoever's phone that is, you ruined everyone's experience. Let's start over." Walked off stage wow. and they started again. That's and amazing. That's when I fell in love with theater yeah. to the fullest extent. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, Rob, yeah. just a great night. There was so much more I wanted to get to, but let's we'll do it again. We, we'll yeah, do it again, baby. We'd love to have you back. So, the what third question think? is What's your favorite street joke? Oh, uh, yeah. What's your We're street going joke? out on your favorite street, street joke. joke. What, now, what's your favorite street joke? Uh, joke anyone can tell. Like you know, a guy like a walks joke. into a bar, uh, a priest, a uh, rabbi. Okay. Uh, All right. So it can be dirty. Can okay. Be... So a guy goes into a bar and uh, and says, uh, 
I'm saying a Martian flies into a bar, a little tiny Martian in a in a little flying saucer, and lands on the bar, jumps out, and he goes to the bartender, "Give me a beer." And the bartender gives him a beer, and the Martian drinks the whole thing down and runs the other end of the bar. There's a big burly biker at the end of the bar, and uh, the Martian stares right in the in the biker's face and goes, <laughs> and then runs back to the other end of the bar and, and says to the bartender, "Give me another beer." And the bartender says, all right, gives another beer. Martian drinks it down and runs again on the other end of the bar with the bikers. <laughs> and runs back and there's another beer. He says, give me another beer. And the bartender says, look. He said, this guy, this guy's a serious, I mean, this guy's, you're not supposed to, this guy's going to kill you. <laughs> this guy is is the, the, the toughest guy. The, nobody, this guy, like, eats people for a This Don't mess with this guy. He says, give me a beer. Gives him another beer. Martian drinks it down, runs to the other end of the bar, and the biker grabs him and looks at him. He says, you do that again, and I'm going to rip your dick off. <laughs> and the Martian says, I don't care. He says, you don't care? Well, then how are you going to take a piss? And she goes... <laughs> Folks, that's drinks, jokes, and storytelling. Last call. Thanks for listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling.